Hey, welcome back to the program. That music means one thing and one thing alone. It is time for MVSW Encore with the one and only Greg Wachinski from ESPN. I have a I have a comment that I want to ask you about, Greg, right off the top. First of all, how are you? I'm good. Am, am I allowed to talk about a commercial I just heard while I was waiting to come on the air? Why not? Everything's <laughs> content. I was just told no, and then you said why not. So I don't know what to say. Oh, okay. Com- I don't know. Well, I, I, I don't know. Just real briefly, like the, the, the premise of the commercial is that Americans don't know anything about hockey. And uh, one of the yes. things that they, they ask in the commercial uh, is, is someone is asking the American, what's your favorite celly? And uh, I, I refuse to believe that that should be a barometer on whether or not an American knows anything about hockey. It's stupid baby talk. Not everybody plays chell. Uh, I refuse to believe yep. if you don't if, if you don't if you don't grok what Selly means, it means it does it means that you're not a hockey fan. I just wanted to put that out there in the world. It's funny as an American, as an American. Yes, oh, I know you're defending your country. I get it. But here's here's the thing about about words like Selly. Like I'm, I wasn't there to begin with, but now that you've brought it up, um, I can't stand it. I never could. But whenever I Thank see you. things like that, I feel like old man. Old, but I but I but here's the thing though, wish. Whenever I say things like that, I feel like old man shakes fist at sky. I feel like, you know, the potato belt, which was this, or the onion belt, which was the style of the time. You know, like, I feel like I'm in a, posi- I'm in a position in my life right now where if I say anything about something that I heard, you know, Jack Hughes say, I better just shut up or else I'm going to feel really old or sound really old. But man, I hate that. I hate that. I hate the term Sally. I really do. <laughs> I I, I tried like to fight this. that fight as as long as I could. I was I was like you know, I was alone on an island, you know, trying trying to defend the the last fortress of of morality and and grammar, in uh, in hockey. <laughs> and and I, I I realized I lost the battle. I realized that you know, shell talk has has overwritten uh, decades of of uh, hockey verbiage, but. Selly's baby talk. I hate it. And I, and it shouldn't and if, if you if you say, Hey, what's what's your favorite six Selly to a hockey fan and they don't know what the hell you're talking about, it doesn't it should not in any way indicate the dedication they have to watching the sport. Can I give you another one? While we're sure. on this tangent. Go ahead. Go ahead. Junesies. Sorry. Junesies. For instead of I played junior hockey, yeah, I played Junesies. Oh, you played Junesies? Yeah, that's, that's another one. See, now that one even goes far Can't beyond it because one, Americans don't know anything about junior hockey, and now and now you're ta- and now you've shortened something we already don't know anything about to Junesies. Right, Junesies. Oh yeah. man. Oh yeah, we get it. I do here. like I Trust do like me, when dude, they I shorten it all the time. The AHL to the A. I think that's fun. Like I was down in the A and then I came up. Like that's that's fun. There's some adoption of, of how players that's talk good. that I'm fine with. But man, like I, I feel like Selly was sort of just born out of again, like video game shell culture rather than being with No, 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 no. But you know what you know what it that. is? It what? no, hang on. He, here's exactly what it is. It's the lazy person's way of creating a nickname where all you do is add an ey to it so jones turned into jonesy and celebration turned into selly that's all it is yeah. it's lazy brain thinking it's, it's lazy, lazy brain, brain thinking, lazy tongue the let me let me fully explain this because i because i like you i don't want to come right. off as old man yelling at cloud although i think that ship has probably sailed 
when we talk about reaching casual fans, when we talk about, and I know yeah. this isn't a problem in Canada because everybody's born with a stick in their hand. I get it. When I'm, when I'm talking about the U.S., when we talk about making new hockey fans, we're talking about a sport that is inherently alien to them. It's played on ice. They're wearing knives on their feet. Uh, the players are usually not from the United States. They don't know where they come from because they don't watch junior hockey or college hockey. Like They watch college basketball and college football. There's a lot of reasons why the sport seems so alien to casual sports fans. On top of that, when they look at the standings, they don't know what the hell they're looking at. And now we're going to go one step further and create an entire glossary of complicated baby talk that they've got to learn to understand what the hell anybody's saying about the sport. I don't think it's, it yeah. serves the interest of trying to I'm, increase the size of the tent when people have to figure out what the hell Junesies is. <laughs> I don't listen. Every sport is going to, is going to have its own vernacular that comes along with it. And that's fine. But I like just leaving that with the athletes and I don't like trying to sort of, you know, normalize it as normal league talk. Like the minute, you know, the minute the league or a broadcaster like me starts saying it, it's over. It's done. It's over. It's finished. Move along. It's Fonzie on the water skis. That's what it is at that point. You know what I'm getting at? Like, just leave it with the players. <laughs> here, here, we're, we're both. We're both clever way to say drop the shark. I was going to say, we're both so concerned about coming off as the, the angry old men and then we're making Happy Days references. It's great. It's good, it's good stuff. Welcome to uh, Stadler and Waldorf. Uh, you may understand the presentation as MVSW, but nonetheless, that's what it's quickly becoming. Greg and I complain about things that young people who enjoy hockey do. Um, you know what? To, to your point, though, <clears throat> to your point about um, entry points and not understanding where players come from, um, that's a legitimate one. And that's what, where I will always mention the work of EJ Raddock with the NHL Network and getting things like the World Junior Tournament on, uh, on the NHL Network and you know doing a lot of things around the draft to try to present players before they get to the NHL. Um, because, listen, I mean, you're a baseball fan. You know where everyone's coming from. You're a football fan, basketball fan. You know where they're coming from. In the United States specifically for the longest time, there, there must have been, in a lot of people's minds, this factory. Like, there were three factories. There was one in Shakutami, there was one in Sudbury, and there was one in Medicine Hat. And that's the three factories that made hockey players, right? The uh, mm -hmm. Quebecois guys came from Shakutami, and everyone else came from Sudbury and the Ontario League. And out west, it was Medicine Hat, and that's where they all came from. Radic was always the one that was pushing to, like, look, let's let our fans know where these guys come from. So when they join... So when they join the NHL, we have a little bit of the backstory on them. A lot of that was done by E.J. Yeah. Raddick, and I will always compliment him for it. He's the best. He's the best. Um, but, but again, that is, that is a real uh, sticking point in, in trying to get people more into hockey is the fact that they don't know where the players come from. And, and, and I was heartened over the years that, uh, that the World Junior Tournament, I think, has picked up a little bit of speed amongst uh, American hockey fans. And I've also been heartened through the years to see the growth of NCAA hockey and, and how popular the Frozen Four has become. I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where the majority of fans know who these guys are before they get to the NHL, but but maybe. But that always comes back to something, that, that, and it kind of ties into this whole World Cup thing that happened this week that you and I have talked about, which is like, what if you turned the Olympics into a U23 tournament? Like, wouldn't that be better for hockey yep. to put the spotlight on the next wave of, of talent 
versus having you know 36 year old american players skate around the ice it's it's probably not what people want because they want to have a chance to see a true best on best where you can see a 38 year old Sidney crosby playing with Connor mcdavid but i always thought that would be an interesting way to try to like introduce the next wave of stars to people is to have them represent their countries in the olympics Yep, I love that idea. Uh, listen, I, you and I are are both, you know, two people that grew up um, knowing mystery in hockey. You know, hearing about, you know, Alexander Ovechkin or hearing about the KLM line or hearing about the Stastny's or Dominic Hasek long before they joined the NHL. Like you would read about them in the hockey news, right? And you knew oh, yeah. nothing about them. Oh, I wonder what they're like. Oh, and he, and that and that was it. And it was at international events uh, where you finally got to uh, got to um, got to see them. Okay. Um, before I get to Andre Vasilevsky, and is it safe to put goalies on waivers now? Um, I love this tweet of yours, Nick Corbett, director of sports marketing and hockey <laughs> at Adidas. On the NHL All-Star Game jerseys this season, quotes, We're really excited about our All-Star effort, which we think will be really disruptive. Disruptive jerseys? <laughs> well, you have to remember we the finally... disruptive. Hang on. Go ahead, yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to say, what, what what do you interpret as disruptive here? Because I'll tell you what I thought in one second, but share what you think disruptive means in the jersey context. Disruptive means that they're using tech lingo to talk about, like, you know, we're going to go into the Jersey space and really disrupt things. Like, that's what he's trying to say, I think, yep. in that sense. Uh, the 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 look, yeah. the feel, the model, the whole thing is going to be a way where people, people think of jerseys in a certain way, but we're going to really disrupt the market. Somebody in my comments wondered openly if uh, what that meant from a, like a like a practical standpoint and wondered if it meant that they would play in like sleeveless jerseys and i'm like you know considering how much pat Mm. mcafee has an affinity for hockey these days maybe maybe that's kind of where they end up going (laughs) but what but what did you think when you heard disruptive merrick I, you know what I really thought? Because I've seen it before. I've never done it. I've always wanted to just to f- know what it feels like. I'm like, are we going shirts and skins at the All-Star game? <laughs> because at the All-Star game, there's no real point in wearing shoulder pads. Just wear elbow pads and gloves. And maybe you, like, you paint some paint some things on your body, like you know the, the Lucky Charms design on Kamala back in the old WWF. I don't know. Like, to me, that would be disruptive. That would be completely different. I'm not sure how you can have a disruptive jersey other than to your point it's it's just well, like jersey tech it, lingo for what it's going to be different. a disruptive like the, a the, disruptive the, the numbers the numbers, game. the numbers are going to the numbers are going to look different maybe it's going to be a disruptive all-star game though i know i know elliot's mentioned that the draft is coming back in some way shape or form um i i think people yes. should anticipate there being a major change in the skills competition too uh as far as sort of who's participating um that's going to be fun when, when we finally get a chance to talk about it, uh, it's it's going to be a much different event than we've had in the last couple of years. And, and again, I think the All-Star format's been pretty good, uh, but they always like to shake it up a little bit. And obviously, with it being held in Toronto, I think they felt the opportunity was there to really uh, kind of rethink this thing for the first time in a few years. So disruptive may end up being the catchphrase for that weekend based on all of the th- gears that are already in motion for what's going to happen at the all-star game it's it's funny too because i i kind of get the feeling that 
when it comes to something like the skills competition that after what we saw last year in Florida, that hockey ops probably has a tighter handle on this thing now. And this is going to be like what hockey ops wants. Hockey ops is going to get, and it's going to go, it's going to swing all the way back away from showmanship and back to actual skills, but how they present that and who they choose to present it is going to be an interesting conversation. You know, like yeah. uh, you saw Philip Perona crank one up at like, was it one Oh five? The other day, 105.7 on a slap shot. And my first thought was, ooh, you know what? If you have someone like Philip Peronik who can crank it up around 105, how about for your you know hardest slap shot, we just have Philip Peronik versus Ryan Pulock? So, so this is an interesting philosophical conversation, which is what do you want out of the skills competition? Do you want the totality of the NHL to be involved to figure out who has the hardest shot out of the 400, 500 some odd skaters that we have each season? Or do you want it to be more focused on the star players that are representing their teams at the event? Because you could go either way. I think it's certainly going one way more than the other at this point. And I was always curious as to what you think would sell more. Honestly, I, I, I prefer the focus to be on the players that are there. Like, I, I think the whole point of All-Star Weekend is a, you know, marvel at the talents of the star players, get to know them a little bit better. Maybe you're not familiar with the best player on the Blue Jackets. Well, here he is, and now you can talk about him when you when you see them play on a Tuesday night. I prefer to have the skills competition focused on, on the players participating in All-Star Weekend versus having the ringers come in, but you sound like a ringer guy. I'm a combination of both. And here's how you have take for the hardest shot. For example, you have last year's winner and then you have a field of challengers. So last year's winner is a star player. I don't even know who won the hardest shot last year. I can't even tell you off the top of my head. That's how almost inconsequential a lot of the skills competition has has become (laughs) last year's hardest shot winner takes on a group of challengers that are not announced until they come out to take on the challenger. It's it's total <laughs> pro wrestling style. It's out from behind the curtain. Here comes from yeah. your Vancouver Canucks, Philip Ronick from your New York Island. You know what I mean? Yeah. So from, you want to turn from, you want to turn the skills competition know, I don't even know where you want to turn it into the Royal Rumble basically. Yeah, you and want I to turn the skills competition into the Royal Rumble. It, it's, Hundred percent, and I don't even know where Martin Furk is playing right now. But from parts unknown, Martin Furk comes out as a slap shot specialist. <laughs> Where's Martin Furk playing? Let me look that up. By God, that's Martin Furk's music. Um, <laughs> Martin Furk's music, and he'd come and I, win. I I seem rapper swell. Oh, I know. I know, I know there are some the teams League. that do. I know there are some teams that do the localized skills competition within their own team. Like I remember going to see the Devils. Uh, at the Meadowlands, hold yeah. their own skills competition. I think it was like 50 people there, but like I know it happened, um, and that would be a cool way to do it. Is like you you have every team do their own skills competition. You find the hardest shot and the fastest skater from those skills competitions, and they graduate to play in the All Star Game skills competition. But again, like I said, at the same time, um, as much as it's fun to have those like players that are just like super skilled in one facet come to the all-star game and, and ply their trade. I, I, there's still a part of me that's yeah. like, I'd rather see McDavid do all the skills competitions versus have anybody else do them. You've changed, man. 
You used to be all about <laughs> well, the pro wrestling. I, I might have, I might have changed. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's, uh, it's you know, working for a rights holder, and the premium is on the name on the back of the jersey. <laughs> it could be very much that. Or I just want to make sure uh, I maximize the amount of Jack Hughes in my life. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Uh, a lot of things. There's, there's never enough, never enough Jack Hughes in anyone. Okay, so here's the, here's the question. So John Cooper. This is uh, in advance of tonight's Tampa Bay Lightning Winnipeg Jets game. John Cooper is saying that uh, essentially looks like Andre Vasilevsky is going to be back during this third three uh, three game road trip for the uh, for the uh, for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Hey, let me get let me get the exact quote. I'm just okay. going off half cocked here. Here's the exact quote from from John Cooper. Um, There's a really good chance that he'll play at the upcoming three game road trip. That from uh, from John Cooper. So. With Andre Vasilevsky back, and the minute that I mentioned this before he came on, the tweets that I got about, uh, there's a team in Edmonton that's still looking for a goaltender too, so maybe it's not safe. But did it just get safer whether you're Montreal or if you're Buffalo um, to send a goalie down on waivers? Is it safer? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's safe to... I don't Everybody think, I don't was think scared of Tampa, point. having their goalies claimed. No. It's just gonna. It's. It, I would. I would be scared to death of putting any kind of goalie on waivers at this point, just because of the need of all these teams. And and again, like, this this speaks to two things, by the way. First of all, it speaks to how teams in 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 tandem world uh, refuse to weaken their goaltending position to bolster someone else's, which is why it's so damn hard for teams that are in need of a goaltender to find one. But the other thing about it, like Edmonton, you mentioned, like the other thing about Edmonton right now, and any team that that that's in a pickle like they are, is I've heard some people be like, why not just make a trade? Like, why not shake up the roster? Like, why didn't you make a trade before you fired Jay Woodcroft? I'm like, do you do you understand how hard it is to make a trade right now? <laughs> like, on top of the cap constraints of of this season, you also have to yeah. find someone who wants to make a trade with you. And as of right now, there's like what four, maybe four or five teams at most that are in a position where they're desperate to make a move. So unless they're going to like make a deal with each other, they're, they're certainly not going to, you know, be able to grab somebody off a contending team. And so it it's, it's all very complicated for teams that are trying to bolster any position, let alone the goaltending position right now. You, you can make a trade. I was, I was making this point in the first hour. You can make a trade, but it's got to be, as I've referred to it, an old Philadelphia Flyers Ed Snyder trade where it doesn't matter what you gave up. You, quote unquote, got the player. Like how many times did you hear Bobby Clark when he ran the Philadelphia Flyers saying, did we give up too much? Maybe, but we got the player. Yeah. Like that was always like the Flyers were always that under Ed Snyder. It didn't matter how much we had to pay, see Ilya Brzezgalov. It didn't matter how much we had to offer in a trade as long as we got the player. So if the Oilers want right now, they can make a trade. It'll be a trade that we'll look at and we'll say, oof, you lost the trade. But they would turn around and say, yeah, but we got the player. Like what I'm saying is the Edmonton Oilers right now, I don't know that they can make a fair trade for a goaltender. They can make a trade but they'll ultimately lose the deal, but they need a goalie so bad and they need at least one more defenseman so bad. If they're going to make a trade, they have to go into it saying, we know we're going to lose this. We just have to not lose it as bad as some people might think. That's kind of how I see it. Cause you're right. Like this is a league that doesn't make deals until Jan doesn't even start making deals until January. 
two things on the Oilers. One, I still think they're going to make the playoffs. I, I, I'm not, I'm not afraid of the teams that are in front of them. Um, they just need to kind of like get on a little bit of a roll, which is asking a lot. But I still think they're going to make Oof. the playoffs. But the second question is this: If it's like late December and they haven't made any significant progress going up the standings. At what point, or can you even just call this season a mulligan and and not make a dramatic deal that's going to be a desperation Hail Mary move? Like, like that's is there a moment in which you can say that the season just didn't work for some reason? And if that's the case, what are the ramifications for doing so? Um so I had a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago who brought up an interesting point who said to okay. me, look, as constructed right now, the Edmonton Oilers maximized their roster last year. He said, the one thing that you guys all keep forgetting is the Oilers need to be better than last season. And there's a lot of people that think that they got the max out of that roster last year. So what are the moves that you can make to make sure that they're better than last season. And I think it's a really good point because there is, there's like, I understand the idea of not throwing away a season of dry and McDavid in their primes. You can't do that. But then at a certain point to your point, you can't keep throwing, you know, you can't keep throwing money around just to maybe try to get into a playoff spot and then get scotched in the first round. Or assets. Because yeah, or it's assets. not there anymore. Right, right. So that's the, the question. The question is like, it's, it's completely feasible right now that we revisit the Oilers in a month and they're just borked. They're just, they're just, a, 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 you open up the bottle of wine and it's skunked. You know, like there's a chance that this season is just is what it is. It got off the, the blocks the wrong way. It's like being DQ'd at the start of a sprint. Like it's just possible that this season stinks. And then if that's the case and they don't go and start throwing around assets to try to improve the team in a dramatic yeah. way in season, like what's the ramifications? Like the Ken Holland of it all is very interesting to me because like you've already changed the coach. I assume you change the GM if they don't make the playoffs, but then, then at the end of the day, then you're now creating even more instability in some ways within the organization. Is that, and is that the right thing to do? I don't know. It's to me, a lot of it is, I, I don't what, want to have to think about, about I want to think about them as a playoff career. team. I want to no, think about him as a playoff team, too, because I want to see Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl in the playoffs one more time. And if that means, like, listen, one of the best playoff performances I think I've ever seen is Leon Dreisaitl on one leg. It was one of, the, one of the most incredible things I ever saw. I think all of us are on the same page. So, I think so, a lot of this is going to come down to you're going you're to be one year away from a Leon Dreisaitl extension. And is he interested? Yeah. So, again, like I said before, the, thinking about the dark, the dark times and if they don't make the playoffs, they are, they are eight points in back of the Kraken with three games in hand. Okay? And they are seven points in back of the Ducks with one game in hand. The Blues right now are in the, mm -hmm. the first wild card spot. I have no idea who they are, by the way. <laughs> Neither do I. Well, I know exactly oh, the Blues. I, have I no know clue. exactly what they are. Yeah, yeah I have no clue. They, 
they are they are they they are as good as Jordan Bennington is. That's exactly who they are. You they, know what? Their okay. defense gets cratered. One, get the... They don't impress me offensively. He's played incredibly well. You and I both know I am not a Jordan Bennington fan. I am not waving the blue and yellow pom-poms for Jordan Bennington. I thought at this point he'd have more fighting majors than wins. But the bottom line is that he's played great, <laughs> and they're going to go as far as he takes them. But before you get to the Blues, is there any team in front okay, of the I Oilers come back to the that Blues. you— I want to come back to the but, Blues. Okay, but but is there any team in front of the Oilers that you think they can't overcome? Like the the field no, for the wild the card spots but, but, in the West is right right for the taking. They just have to get their act together. Yeah, but that's just the thing. Like this has been the, the story of the Oilers this year so far is it's a team looking for rakes to step on, and they keep doing it. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Tampa stepping on rakes. Go up two pucks on Florida. Step on a rake. Like, it's a team that... It's a team that can't get out of their own way this year. Now, I think... It's not just me. Like, we all wonder about Connor McDavid and how much... He's not at 100%. He's not at 90%. He rushed back. Like, what is he at? Yeah. He rushed back for the Heritage Classic. I think that's pretty obvious to everybody. And I think that if Connor McDavid... If if the Edmonton Oilers were on on top top of the division... That, you know, they might just like, sit him down to get him healthy. You know, take a break to get healthy here. But they're not in that position right now. So he's already not at 100%. you got to keep firing him out there as the losses are piling up. Because it's horrific at this point to sit down Connor McDavid when you can't win a game. And after every single game, we're having an audit on the Edmonton Oilers season. That's all we do. Like I've, 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 I've said this morning on Halford and Bruff, said it on this program, it's not an 82-game season for Edmonton. It's 82 one-game seasons. That's how we treat yeah. it. Because we're all gobsmacked that Edmonton's in this position. Yeah. No one can believe 20, it. 21st, 21st in goals per game. That is insane. That If you look, I looked at the numbers since Knobloch took over, by the way. And and still, once again, like their expected goals are completely outpacing their actual goals at five on five, but to the point where in the in the games he's coached, they're like one goal better per sixty at five on five than they are in actual goals at at, at even strength. So wh- they're doing good things, man. They're just making mistakes and and failing to capitalize on the chances they create, which is just it's mind blowing. What are you going to say about the Blues? Don't forget about okay, that. Okay. Qu- so, so here's, you know, as someone there pointed out to me, we all know that Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong like big, strong defensemen. That's not exactly a secret. And this is one person pointed out to me, they tend to do better when they get Bertuzzo and at times Tucker out of the lineup and put Krug and Perunovic. Like they've always sort of never wanted Krug and Perunovic both to be on the blue line at the same time. Mm-hmm. But they kind of play better when they're both together, when they're both in the lineup, and it's bizarre because they they have the I mean St. Louis and the St. Louis has always had the the philosophy about being about being big and strong. We've talked about always having a slugger, going back to '67. But as far as like having a big blue line, they tend to play better when Perunovic and Kruger are in the lineup, don't they? Yeah, for sure. But again, if you look at their D pairings, like nothing really stands out insofar as like helping with the possession game. Um. It's been the Bennington show. And look, it's not as if we haven't seen the show before. <laughs> like, he carried yeah. them to a cup 
with how well he played one year, and he's playing really, really well right now. Um, but they're only going to be as good as he as he takes them because overall, I'm not really impressed with that team. Before I let you go here, um, Patrick Line, like tonight, Chicago and Columbus, we should be talking about Bedard and Fantilli, and that'll be a sidebar issue. But the main story is how's Line going to do after the most high profile, healthy scratching of the season? Um, I've made the point that this is no longer about Line and the coach. This is about the general manager, and that's pretty obvious. They've tried on the wing. They've tried in the middle. They tried like the what Buffalo did with Tage Thompson, and it worked, but in Columbus it hasn't. As one person um, texted me the other day, the game has evolved, and Line A's game hasn't evolved with it, hmm. and he can't get in position to get that shot off anymore. So this is going to be a pretty huge what-do-you-do-now moment. To me, this is more about the general manager than Pascal Vincent laying down the law. Although, what I do think is this really much winks at the idea that it's hard to go from an assistant coach to a head coach because players look at you and go, hang on a second. When you're, you're the assistant coach, you were inviting me over for barbecues, you know, you and your <laughs> wife, like, hey, come on over, I come meet the kids, yeah, and buddy. hey, little yeah. buddy noogies in the parking lot, and now you're barking at them and scratching them and benching them. What's going on here? No, this is <laughs> a good thought point. Line good, a and CBJ right now? Good, good cop can't become bad cop. Bad cop remains nope. bad cop. That's what, that's what you have to think about with assistant coaches. Uh, my thought is that that you know, hopefully whatever they're looking for from him that they thought could be remedied with a scratch, they find because I love the kid. And um, yeah. your comment about the game is interesting. So first of all, it's kind of mind-blowing that it's now eight years for him in this league. But, I mean, he came into the league, like he, he's, he was a 30-goal scorer as late as 18-19. And now we're in 23-24. And so... Your your theory is that the game has changed so much in that span that the things Line was doing to be a fifty point thirty goal guy can are are sort of no longer valid. That's because that's a really interesting thought. That that's what someone there texted me that the game has evolved so much and Line's game hasn't evolved with it. So well, listen. Remember when he, when he came in and we were talking about not if he's going to win the Rocket Richard Trophy, but how many Rocket Richards is he going to win? Yeah, like he had and still does. One of the most had the most violent shots we've ever seen. Like when I look at Line A's shot, the only way I can describe it is violent. But he can't get it off anymore. Why? Why is that? That is it because back pressure is 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 uh, is is like right on you right away. Like you don't have that extra half second to to set up and and get the shot off. Like he's just not getting shots off at all. Mm-hmm. We've seen this for the past couple of seasons. Now have injuries been a factor for Line A? Of course they have. But also getting in position to get that shot off hasn't been there for Patrick Line. So maybe the answer was, much like Buffalo did with Tage Thompson, let him go all over the ice. Put him in the middle. Get him out of, like, the the uh, table hockey, you know, just up and down, patrol the wing and, you know, blast it when the puck comes to you. Let's let him go all over the ice. Maybe that way he has more room to get that shot. That hasn't happened. So at this point, what do you do? It's a good point. So, so looking at the numbers real quick, uh, his shots per 60 um, right now is at 5.5, which is down from 7.4 and 7.2 the previous two seasons. And then in 2021, which was sort of an anomalous year for everybody, it was 3.8. So there's something to be said for for his shot production having dipped at 5 on 5, which is kind of speaking exactly to your mm-hmm. point. And I, I don't know. It's just interesting to think about a, a guy that was that dominant so recently 
and then the game changes a little bit. Like you said, I mean, it, it, you know, the, the way teams are playing has certainly shifted in the last three years. And then he's sort of like a man out of time, despite being like 25. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of yeah. a jarring concept to think about, uh, but it but it may apply to, to Line A. <laughs> uh, real quick here before I wrap up, uh, MD Stewart tweets at me. Um, uh, Jeff Merrick is going to upset Canucks Twitter, not knowing that Elias Pettersson won the hardest shot, 103.2, at the last NHL All-Star competition. But please bring Royal Rumble-style challenges to this. Come on. Mm. Like, Vancouver Canucks Twitter wouldn't love all the challengers. for. Well, Philip Rodek would be one. <laughs> His own teammate would be coming in to challenge him. I mean, at Come this on, point, I mean, the listen, the, the Canucks are going to sweep every award outside of the Calder. So you, you might as well just you might as well just make it like the old All Star Game. Just have the East play the Canucks, right? It's it's pretty much the way we should go at this point oh, with how good Vancouver's been. So the the genesis of the All Star Game, which was the benefit for Ace Bailey. Thank you, Eddie Shore, for ending the career. Hey, we're going to do an All Star Game to get you some money. So please don't sue us, um, Bailey family. Thank you very much. So we'll go back to the old style of the the All Star team is comprised of all the other teams that didn't win the Stanley Cup versus the Stanley Cup champion. Love it. Be great. Interesting, interesting conversation as always. Um, you be well. Uh, oh, by the way, to the point about you, you, um, you were talking recently about the uh, the the Winter Classic jerseys. I don't know how. I was mentioning this on the <laughs> show yesterday. I don't know how if you're Seattle that you're going for a Seattle Metropolitans motif and you don't have strings on your jersey. <laughs> Makes exactly yeah. zero sense to me. Well, I don't. I don't know Could how. Please that into the conversation. I don't know how Adidas and the NHL, until I mentioned it to them, didn't realize that the Vegas logo is flipping double birds at everybody. It was a true <laughs> life-changing moment for them when I was on the Zoom call last Friday, and I, and, I, and I said, not for nothing, and I don't know if anyone's brought it up before, but have you realized that the Vegas logo is flipping double birds like St- Stone Cold Steve Austin on the second turnbuckle? And uh, they oh, said no. no, and then they suggested therapy for me, which I thought was an interesting <laughs> response. But yeah, I, I, we went into it on the drop floor, so me and Arda. But yeah, the the biggest yeah. logo is flipping double birds. You'll you'll not be able to unsee it now. Wow! Now I uh, now I really won't. Okay, <laughs> uh, on that we'll wrap. We're heavy on time. Thank you. In seven days we'll do it all again. Thank you, Greg Wyshynski. 